Big thanks to our sponsor, Microsoft Azure, for supporting the first season of Function. Startups, governments, and 90% of Fortune 500 companies are already running on Microsoft Cloud. Join them and find new ways to achieve more. Stay productive with familiar tools, develop and deploy where you want with a consistent hybrid environment, and build engaging apps with intelligent features. You can bring your bold ideas to life faster, push them further, and scale them worldwide. Start your free account at azure.com slash trial. That's A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial. Welcome to Function. I'm Anil Dash. Today, we are exploring a phrase you might often see on YouTube. It usually goes something like, no copyright infringement or no infringement intended, or in the wildest cases, I've seen folks put up no copyright intended, which... I don't even know what they're getting at there. Now, none of those phrases themselves might mean that much, but what everybody's trying to say is, I don't know what to do about copyright when I share stuff on YouTube. And that's not that surprising because there are a lot of content creators these days. Some of them are young kids, teenagers, and nobody's taught them about copyright law. Even experts, grownups, might not know how what they create tangles with copyright law, whether it's in their country or around the world. And it's especially complicated because the laws are written to protect the companies that own content, whether that's a movie studio or a record label. The law is not there to protect these independent creators, so it's really hard to know what they're actually dealing with. And it's gotten even more complicated because the intellectual property laws, the copyright laws, those things haven't caught up to the way content is created and shared and remixed today. They're a little bit out of date. And this isn't just something that affects little tiny upstarts. There was a huge case between the giant media company Viacom and YouTube itself in its early days where Viacom sued YouTube for allowing users to upload SpongeBob SquarePants or Daily Show clips onto the site. And of course, they settled this thing on a court and probably reached some kind of legal agreement. But if the biggest media companies in the world are tangling with copyright law on YouTube, you can bet that individual creators are too. Gordon Firemark is an entertainment and intellectual property lawyer. We talked about what the term no copyright infringement or no infringement intended means and whether it's a magic incantation that a YouTuber could use to save themselves from legal persecution. After my conversation with Gordon, stick around for Paul Davids. He's a YouTuber that I talked to who found himself in a little bit of hot water when YouTube accused him of violating copyright on a song that Paul himself had composed. Gordon, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. We're going to get into a lot of what's going to seem nerdy or complex around, you know, intellectual property law and copyright law and things like that. Before we do that, I just want to start at a high level. If we look at a site like YouTube, you know, millions of videos, probably billions of videos at this point that are on there. How does the law see those movies as compared to TV or film or anywhere else? Well, I think the law doesn't really see them as different, you know, for purposes of copyright law, intellectual property law. A work is a work is a work. As long as it's you know got a, a modicum of originality to it and it's recorded in some form, it is protected by copyright. And you know the owner has all the same rights that a copyright owner of a major feature film might might own. And so, really, very little difference. So, if we're talking about common works like music or that we'd hear on a radio or films that we see in a the theater, how does that work become copyrighted? Well, when a person, a creator, puts something original 
into a tangible form, recorded, written, painted on a canvas or a wall, whatever, that person automatically and immediately owns a copyright. And the copyright is this bundle of rights, uh, the right to make and distribute copies and make things based on or derivative from the original and to you know publish the works and display them in public and those kinds of things. And that right lasts uh, currently for 70 years after that author creates, uh, excuse me, after the author who creates it dies. So life plus 70 years. So it's a good long time. You want to use something that isn't covered by copyright, you're going back to the 1920s in the U.S. and most countries around the world. So now some people and some works are in the public domain or have been essentially made available for free under the Creative Commons license or by being uh, put into certain music libraries and things like that. It doesn't mean they don't have copyright. It means that they're being opened up for the world deliberately by the owner of the copyright. So that seems straightforward, but it gets it, it seems a little weird because so many of us remember, certainly especially in the early days of YouTube, a lot of stuff that was up, uploaded to the site was not something that that person owned, right? So they might have had an old music video or a, uh, even a you know part of a TV show or something that they put up there. And they didn't own it and they put it up there. How does that in- intersect with like copyright and ownership? In the early days of YouTube, that was the big complaint that copyright owners had was, hey, here is this business that's being built on taking other people's stuff and distributing it without permission. So, uh, you know, we, we had um, a string of lawsuits and the biggest one was, you know, Viacom versus Google over all of the music videos was all MTV stuff, right? So it was a giant lawsuit that was uh, ultimately resolved in in a way that um, basically said that YouTube is not liable, you know, under the under the, the law of the DMCA. DMCA was the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Right. Uh, YouTube is able to take advantage of something called a safe harbor, where if they comply with this DMCA provision, this takedown procedure, when they get a complaint, they are uh, immune from these lawsuits even though they know it's happening, basically. Right. So the takeaway is is Google, which owns YouTube, it's not their fault because they're just providing a platform and people can do whatever they want on it and they can sort of say, well, that's their problem. They, they violated copyright, not us as YouTube. Right. It's the user, not the platform. So that sort of sets the stage. That's that's where we're at in, in, in the sort of broad way that people are sharing videos. And and then there are exceptions. So there's there's fair use where you're saying I'm, I'm doing cultural commentary or I'm doing education and I'm allowed to use this this video in these contexts. So there's there's some space there, although YouTube doesn't always respect that. And then there's a part where like I made something myself. So I took a video and then I own that and I own the copyright on that. So that that sort of is the, the broad boundaries there. What's interesting to me is there's a behavior that's emerged, especially the last several years, and I think especially for younger users, where they will put up, say, a music video that they know they don't own, or they'll make a montage of film clips from a movie that they know they don't own, and then underneath it, they will write some indication of they're not trying to claim copyright on the material. Like they'll say, no copyright intended or no infringement intended. Right. Have you seen this behavior? I have. And I've I've called people out on it because in my view, that's the smoking gun that proves the infringement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know I don't own this and I'm posting it anyway. And I'm saying to the world, I don't own it, but. I don't want to hurt anybody. So it's kind of an admission of guilt. Yeah. Why do you think this is happening? Why are they saying this? Is this, is this an artifact of them you know, teaching kids about copyright in, in grade school now and, and you shouldn't pirate stuff? Uh, I don't know if they are. I have grade school kids myself and I don't think they're hearing much about copyright from anybody but me. Mm-hmm. My kid came to me one night and said, I don't want to go to juvenile hall because I'm infringing copyrights. <laughs> but, <laughs> but 
I think it's more an artifact of hearing so much misinformation about copyright from the very platform that they're they're playing on. You know, they they're on YouTube and they're seeing comments. Hey, isn't that an infringement? Or or somebody makes a video like myself makes a video about copyright and then they misinterpret or they overinterpret or whatever and they think you know somehow that a disclaimer is all it takes to avoid liability and that's just not the case if a youtube user has put a message like no copyright intended on the bottom of their video does that have legal impl- implications if they end up in the courtroom or they end up in a lawsuit uh, about their possible infringement on that content well i think that the this the fact that the statement is there indicates some awareness of the issue of copyright it sets out this intent element. Unfortunately, copyright infringement is not a uh, the kind of a, a thing where the intent is a, a factor in determining whether infringement occurred. It's, is it a copy? Did you have access to it? And is it very similar to the original thing? If so, that's a copy. And if there's any kind of damages, any kind of injury, uh, which is often presumed in copyright cases, you've got, you've got liability. So the statement I think does more harm than good in most instances. Let's talk a little bit about fair use. It's one of those complicated copyright concepts that not everybody understands. Can you give us a quick breakdown of what it is? Fair use is a distinctively United States concept. It is based on the First Amendment free speech principles that you know inherently conflict with any law that says you can't use this piece of music or, or film or whatever in what you're saying. And so we have this conflict. So the, the law developed up this, this concept called fair use. And it says basically, you know, if you're using certain amount of small amounts for certain uh, societally approved purposes and it doesn't harm the, you know, the, the market for the original and it's not, you know, it sort of transforms it in a different way, then we're going to look at this and say it's probably fair use. You know, so an educational purpose versus a very commercial purpose. The educational purpose weighs in, fair, in favor of fair use. The trouble with fair use is, first of all, it's a, four-factor test that we have to balance in each instance. It's not There's no rule of thumb that works because each case, it just has to be handled on a case-by-case basis. And the other issue is that uh, territoriality of, the, of this principle is U.S. only. So as soon as your video or whatever you're posting online crosses international boundaries, uh, it is possible that you get sued in another country, especially if the owner of the copyrighted work is in that other country. So really, it's a very limited scope defense to copyright infringement. And actually, that gets to another point, which is uh, a lot of these platforms do sort of automated detection of, of intellectual property, right? So, so so YouTube, you upload a video and I'll try to say, oh, is this a song that uh, somebody else owns? And we'll try and, and see if it matches. And uh, in many cases, they'll flag it to you and, and say, you know, we, we think this is something that's in violation. Do you think that is what is informing a, you know, whether they're a kid or not, a creator, somebody on these platforms about what's allowed and what's permissible? I think it is, uh, at least in part. I mean, I'm, I'm getting a lot of inquiries from content creators who say YouTube, you know, either took down my video or is monetizing it for someone else. Those kinds of things, all a part of that content ID system that's identifying other works. And, um, you know, a lot of people are complaining, well, I think it's a false positive. And, uh, you know, that's the other challenge with this is when you automate things, uh, you know, the sieve is only as fine as you make it and stuff falls through the cracks. Right. And content ID is sort of the artificial intelligence system that YouTube uses to detect what it thinks are copyrighted content. Um, generally, they are. Sometimes they're not. Do you think that is sort of almost usurping the law? Like that is, that is what is practically the law, even if it's not, you know, what uh, uh, courts have decided? 
No, I think what it is is that the and you know the reason that YouTube implemented the copy the excuse me the content ID system I think is that it was part of their agreement with certain kinds of content owners you know the music the big music companies uh, to say look if we do this we we will help you identify where your material is being used and this you know switching the monetization so that the music company gets a royalty from from the uses uh, was a way of sort of paying them and compensating and I think sort of a way of avoiding more lawsuits like the Viacom case. A lot of current copyright law came into place in the mid-70s and obviously everything in digital technology has changed since then. Do you think our current copyright regime is out of date for what we need in today's world? I think our current copyright regime and most of our laws are a little bit behind the times or, or slow moving and catching up with the times and that's Partly, I think, by design, we don't want to be constantly reacting and having wide swings of a pendulum in one direction or another before we sort of see where the uh, uh, where the thing, landscape of technology or whatever the new thing is is taking us. So I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, the other thing is that the copyright law has been amended. You know, in 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 as I said, the DMCA is an amendment to the Copyright Act, and that went into effect in the uh, two thousand and one or so, and. We've had other recent changes in it and so on. What what needs to happen is Congress uh, needs to take a look at the whole thing and start patching up the holes and and you know giving it a, a nice fresh coat of paint and, and uh, maybe a new roof so that the uh, uh, the law catches up and maybe anticipates the future a little bit. But that's it's always going to be an evolutionary thing as new technology comes up and disrupts things. We have to have a system that allows us to adapt um, when the time is right. It makes a lot of sense that things just got to keep incrementally improving as as the world changes around the laws. And not always trying to fill in every little gap that comes up uh, right away because sometimes the technology is going to change again before you even get there. If you're a teenager listening to Function, and we have tons of teens that love this show, uh, and you want to put content up on YouTube or you have questions as a young person about intellectual property, or like what are the questions you should ask yourself? Or where are the places you should go and find resources to sort of say, I want to be on the straight and narrow track and I want to do the right thing by these people's intellectual property? So I think one step is to learn to identify who owners of the material are. And then next up is to go and ask for permission. And you may be surprised to find that they're willing to give it. The other thing is if you do want to make a video and you need some music, why not look in the index of music that's already licensed? YouTube has this index of pre-cleared music that you can use. Most of it is pretty good stuff. It may not be exactly what you have in mind, but compromise is sometimes the name of the game. Understanding who owns it and how you go about getting that permission is useful as a life skill generally, whether you're going to be a media content creator for your whole life or just something you're doing as a lark when you're a kid. Gordon, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Even regular folks can get caught up in these issues around copyright on YouTube. There was a woman who had a couple seconds of a Prince song in the background of her video. Prince was protective of his intellectual property, so he made his record label go after this woman's YouTube video, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court as a copyright case. Now, if they're having Supreme Court cases about YouTube videos, you know that regular YouTube creators are going to get involved every single day. We're going to talk to one of them, Paul Davids, about how he got tangled up in a copyright issue about a song that he had written himself.
On Function, we explore the stories behind the world's most impactful technology. Coming up next, we'll hear an advertiser segment from Microsoft Azure. The building blocks for industry in the 21st century aren't cement blocks and steel beams, but digital tools and platforms. The way we look at a, a new building is that it's a smart building, it's a cognitive building, it's fully connected, it's able to be optimized through digital platforms and digital technology. That's Dale Brett. He's a co-founder and chief product officer at Willow, a technology company that creates a digital map of the physical world in high-res detail. It's called a digital twin. With a digital twin, we can see all of the context of that building live in a digital format on our computer online. Willow takes data from all of the systems inside a building, the lights, the heating system, which meeting rooms are in demand, and stores it on the Azure cloud. Then, Willow uses machine learning algorithms to understand this data and make smart decisions about the built environment. It's really about the data analytics, which then allows us to see how's the temperature been going, the air quality, has it been operating at 100% capacity, or are there certain components that show us we can do predictive maintenance. Then, the team can apply these learnings to new projects and easily bring them to scale. All this is why the team at Willow uses Microsoft Azure. Learn more about the tools you can use to build a smarter world and business with Azure. Try a new Azure free account at azure.com slash trial. A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial. Thanks, Microsoft Azure, for sponsoring Function. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Function. I'm Anil Dash. Earlier, you heard Gordon lay out the rules around copyright, but most of his advice was for people that were trying to avoid copyright violations for using other people's work. What happens if YouTube accuses you of ripping off something that you composed and created yourself? Hi, my name is Paul Davis, and this is episode three of a series in which we learn the basis of music theory. And I highly recommend Paul Davids is a YouTuber who makes guitar tutorial videos and backing tracks for people who are learning to play the guitar. One, three, five. That sounds like music theory. This is gonna be fun. Earlier this year, YouTube sent him notice saying one of his videos had been flagged for copyright infringement. But when he looked, the song he'd been accused of infringing on was one that Paul had written himself. I started making these backing tracks to put on YouTube for other people to play over. I thought, well, let's have like a little bit of a funky, funky, groovy rhythm pattern. You know, it's, it's very groovy. I talked to Paul about the whole ordeal, how it happened, and if it's made him change the way he shares his music online. So, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about the kind of videos you make and how long you've been on YouTube? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I've been um, actively uh, on YouTube for more than three years at this point. Uh, I'm mainly a content creator in the musical area. I make guitar-related videos, um, from inspirational videos to lessons, tutorials, uh, instructions, whatever I feel uh yeah, that's fun to make about the guitar. So kind of the classic thing we all go to YouTube looking for, right? If we sort of say how to play guitar or, you know, just inspiration from seeing somebody playing some music, you're likely to pop right up, right? 
Well, there are some real big guitar channels, musical channels, but uh, but mine is so uh, yeah, it's it's doing pretty okay. Uh, I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So you've had you know so three years as a creator and a couple more and before that as somebody that was making uh, music that people could use. And I'm curious about during that time period. Did you start out thinking about copyright, especially, you know, if you had songs and music that people could license? Was was the copyright and, and the rights around your music a big consideration for you? No, I never gave it one single thought. I just started making videos. Uh, of course, when I was in school, um, I did uh, the conservatory, which is about music. Um, they taught us about licensing your own tracks uh, and how you can earn money with your own songs. But when I started doing YouTube, I never gave that a single thought, to be honest. And I was quite shocked the first time I got a, like this copyright infringement mail about uh, me playing a song of someone else. Uh, and apparently the rightful owner of that song made a copyright infringement claim on my video. And I was like, I didn't even play the song. Well, I played it on my guitar, but it didn't sound the same. It was just a single guitar line. It had no resemblance with the original track other than just this tiny guitar fragment. And I was like, huh? how can they claim this? I wasn't aware of that copyright also is for musical phrases and uh, you aren't allowed to play them on YouTube. So so you had this little, almost this signal from YouTube of, well, you've, you've, you've reuse this one musical phrase and that's enough to be considered infringement. But that's something that, that YouTube is detecting, right? They don't have anybody listening to every single video. Yeah, there is this system called Content ID, which um, I think you can see it as they make a, uh, like a fingerprint of the audio source that is underneath your video. So they scan the video and they can pinpoint exactly, uh, I think, the notes, the melody, um, the key of a song. They have their own database and they can link my song or what I'm playing to their database. And if there is a match, then they, I think, automatically send like this copyright infringement notice. So even more than the law, they've got the, the content ID bot that is sort of scanning everybody's music and comparing it to their database. And that is sort of the, the source of truth on YouTube as to whether you're infringing on somebody's rights or not. Yeah, and there's a lot of debate, I, uh, and I know amongst YouTubers as well, to when it's fair use or when it's like uh, not fair use. Because when you teach a song, I think that's basically fair use of, of the song because you're using the song to make other people better. And it's, it's like how it's been for generations, for years, for, for, for centuries even. You, you learn an, uh, an instrument by playing songs. It's just the way it's always been. And now on YouTube, it seems that all, all the big companies are trying to make that stop because uh, it isn't worth it making a video of, of other people's songs because you can't earn money with it. So it's a bit weird that this age-old tradition is being uh, stopped, <laughs> essentially. And nearly every you know creator on YouTube has probably had a flag at some point from Content ID about something being in violation, uh, you know, or, or or being unlicensed content. How long had you been making videos when you got that first notice? Almost right away, I played this Coldplay song, Adventure of a Lifetime. I remember it quite vividly. And uh, yeah, there it was, the mail. And I was like, no, how can they do this? I was so shocked. Like, I, I, I didn't play the song. I didn't have one fragment of the original piece. It's just me explaining how to play a melody. Uh, I was like, what, what's happening? So I, of course, I filed like a motion uh, that I disagreed with their claim. But uh, within a few hours, I got... Uh, it matches back that uh, yeah the claim was righteous and 
I had no uh, no claim to uh, make on that video. When you get a takedown request from YouTube and, and they say that you're in violation, what are your choices? Can you take the video down? Do you have to mute the track? What can you do? There are a few things that can happen. One thing is that they automatically mute um, that particular part out of your video. But what's happened more often is that you uh, have to share the income of the video with the righteous owner of the copyright. And that is not sharing like 50-50, that's like sharing, they get everything <laughs> and you get two cents. They've got this process in place. It's detecting you know, content violations through this, this content ID. Um, the, the incentives might not be that fair, but at least there's some system in place, ideally, theoretically, to protect creators. And then one day you get a copyright notice from YouTube about a song that was not written by somebody else. Yeah, that's right. That's right. This summer, I got, an, again, this dreaded copyright notice, and I opened my email, and I saw that this message uh, was about a backing track I wrote. So I talked in the beginning of this uh, interview about that I did backing tracks, and it's basically me playing just a bunch of chords, random chords, that just that sound good with each other. And I had uh, made the song myself. I recorded everything, I wrote everything, and I put it on YouTube as a backing track to play over. So this is your own original composition uh, to be used almost like stock music for somebody else. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It is, it is made so you can play it on YouTube, grab your guitar and play along with the track. That's basically what it's made for. So it's not made to be downloaded. It's not made to make your own songs with. It's a teaching tool. Exactly, yeah. And then this summer you get this email and it says what? It basically said that someone um, with the content ID method had claimed uh, yeah, the copyright of my video. So that my video was infringing on someone else's copyright. So that was quite a shock for me. I was flabbergasted. I was like, is there maybe a song written that sounds so similar to what I then recorded that like the content ID system got it wrong or, or something? So... Uh, that would be very interesting by itself. But what I found out was a little more interesting <laughs> than that even. So, so what, was the, what was it that Content ID found that you were allegedly infringing on? Well, it was a song that someone made, recorded, and uploaded to all the digital stores where you can sell your own music. For instance, if I make a song, I can upload it to Spotify, and then anyone can listen to the song on their phones or whatever. So basically what someone did they uploaded the song to Spotify and they used a service for that. And when you upload the song, you can turn on something called Content ID. And when you turn that on, it automatically is going to search for other versions of your song so that you can earn money if other people use your song or you can even have them take it down. So what basically happened was this guy who allegedly made his own music um, basically ripped my backing track off YouTube and he recorded some vocals on it, recorded some guitars on it. Pretty crappy, if I gotta say. Let's just have a listen to how similar it sounds. <laughs> it's the same track. My heart skips a beat. With added vocals and guitars. What? Even the solo is the same. He stole my track and he made it into his own. 
and then he turned the content ID on. So my video got this fingerprint match with his original, well, so-called original song. Amazing. So somebody takes your song, uh, does some overdubs on it, doesn't really improve it too much, puts it up for for listening on the streaming services like Spotify and says, by the way, catch if anybody's ripping off my song. And then it flags you, the original creator, as being in violation. Exactly. How do you feel when you get that email? I mean, what do you what do you respond? How do you how do you even appeal to that? Did you did you know the person who did this? Did you know the creator of that that other song? No, no, no. I didn't know anything about him. There only was this like a little information uh, in the mail itself, like um, the company that sent the info and the name of the song. So by that small amount of info, I did some googling, of course, because I was really uh, excited to find out what happened. So um, I did some Googling and I came on his Facebook page of this guy and uh, I saw he, he was a, a guitar player, he was a composer, he was a musician, he did everything. And well, I was shocked because that was exactly the guy that uploaded my song, he turned into his song, <laughs> onto Spotify. Did you reach out to the person who'd filed this copyright claim against your own song? Yeah, I did, yeah. Because I found his Facebook page um, I sent him a message about that I had this copyright infringement and I, I just asked him if he took my song. Basically, that's what I did. He said something along the lines, I vaguely remember of maybe having some audio samples uh, off of YouTube. Uh, <laughs> so it's really, it's really shocking for me that, that anyone who calls himself a musician would do something like this because it's just stealing he doesn't even acknowledge it as stealing. Right. Vaguely remember as like, I may have gotten some things off of YouTube. How do you appeal that? What do you say to YouTube? How did you point out what had happened? You basically have the same options as when you, uh, you're playing someone else's song. I just uh, filed a dispute. And luckily for me, this time, the matter got set in, uh, within, within hours, I think. Um, of course. Wow. So YouTube yeah. saw your dispute and they said, okay, this is, you're right. You're telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. And I really don't know how they did, did it so quickly. Maybe um, they know that my channel has like a big number of subscribers, which was at the time around uh, 600,000, I think. So that's, that's pretty big. And I think they may take the bigger channels a little bit more serious or give them a little bit more uh, advantage. Uh, so it boosts your credibility with them a little bit. Yeah, I think, I think it does. If they hadn't listened to you, though, what would happen? You would, you would lose the ability to make money on your channel for that song, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And the crazy thing is you get this mail saying, warning, uh, th this is a warning. And um, so you really feel scared and you, you really feel a bit intimidated even because you don't know what's happening. And of course, we all know the examples of YouTube taking down channels. There are even channels that just have played a song on the guitar. I know this guy who played a song from uh, the Eagles Hotel California and he got really a copyright strike for... Um, playing that song and when you get three strikes it's out your channel is done so uh, that would really destroy my whole career basically <laughs> so you're always a bit afraid of something like that, that 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 happens so this is really interesting you have been on on kind of both sides of this you have had you know uh, spurious claims filed against you by youtube when you weren't really violating or certainly you felt you're within your rights of fair use to cover a song and you've also been a creator whose work was ripped off and 
you could almost see how, if it had worked as intended, it might have protected you. If 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 this person hadn't filed a claim against you, maybe it would have caught, you know, somebody using your music. So so where do you stand on YouTube? You know policing these violations and on how content ID works overall? Well, I think the global ID is pretty good. They, um, I think their main focus is they try to protect creators. And I think that's something worth living by. But the way uh, it works right now is that all the power is in the hands of the big music corporations like uh, Warner or Sony. And they can just say, this is how we do it. And they have like the power to to just kill you as a as a channel to just mute stuff they can take down your videos they can earn money from you it's like youtube gave the power to these big companies like okay you can do whatever you want because they are the creators basically the music creators the rightful owners of the of the songs and they just have too much power nowadays well paul i think you have a very thoughtful and nuanced view of this Thank you for joining us on Function today, and I hope that uh, you have a, a full creative career on YouTube, free from any more false or incorrect claims. That would be so great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this week on Function. Next week, we are going to take kind of a commercial break. Well, what I mean is we're going to actually talk about advertising on podcasts. If you've ever wondered why all of your favorite podcasts have the same ads for mattresses or meal kits... We're going to explain how that happens and talk to some of the folks that make podcasts about the business and the money behind podcasting. Function is produced by Bridget Armstrong. Our associate producer is Maurice Cherry. Nishat Kurwa is the executive producer of audio for the Box Media Podcast Network. Our engineers are Srinivas Ramamurthy and Jared Floyd. Our theme music was composed by Brandon McFarland. Big thanks to the team at Glitch. You can always check out Function at glitch.com function. And you can follow me on Twitter at at Anil Dash. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen. Keeping up with your competition is important. Taking the lead with unmatched innovation, that is impressive. And that's what's possible when you build your next generation of smart apps on Microsoft Azure. Clear the way for unparalleled productivity with end-to-end development and management tools. Integrate cloud capabilities across your environment with the only consistent hybrid cloud. Discover transformative insights through artificial intelligence and real-time data, and scale across more global regions than you'll get from any other cloud provider. Because every business and every organization, whether small or large, old or new, has something to gain by reaching beyond the limits of an on-premise data center. What will you achieve when you come to the cloud? Get started with a free account and 12 months of popular services at azure.com slash trial. A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial.